Hi, this is Julie Samuels from the Chicago Community Gardeners Association. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Wow, look, look who nailed it. Look who nailed it. I'm expert in the field of fertilizer and soil supplement. My sense of taste gets NPK correct within a few percent. And lumen, sand, and silt I can pontificate at least a day. Just don't ask that I tried the slippery slope of Carolina clay. I understand the stages of most insect metamorphosis. Can calculate without a pause most pesticidal doses. At counting wings and segments, all an entomologist could wish. I even know which lepidoptera to leave and those to squish. Even knows which lepidoptera to leave and those to squish. Even knows which lepidoptera to leave and those to squish. Even knows which lepidoptera to leave and those to squish. I specialize in weed ID with yearly and perennial. Collaborate on research to expose the rare cardinal. In short, in matters floral with extension as my partner, I am the very model of a modern master gardener. In short, in matters floral with extension as his partner, he is a very model of a modern master gardener. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. 20 years and counting as Chicago's go-to deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday morning on Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 847. A new secure line has been opened for communication. 877-711-5611. Now back to American Radio Broadcast. On Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. And here they are She's Lean and He's Green, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Yes, they are. Oh, yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Or good afternoon. Or good evening. Or hello. Hi. How Greetings, are you? salutations. Hey. Good day. How you doing? Okay. Uh, I'm, I am not the very model of a modern master gardener, although I do my best. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I fill out the forms once a year and say, and yeah, and here's my, uh, here's my volunteer hours and here's my education hours and here's the, and every, and every five years they say, hey, if you're going to be around kids, you, uh, you got to get a background check. I'm like, oh, Uh-oh. yeah. <laughs> They fingerprint sh- you guys too. You know, it's uh, and the, and then they call him Bob Mueller, and he comes and he checks you out, and uh, and if you pass, you get to work with kids. Although mainly I don't, but uh, it happens uh, on occasion. But, but they let you do that. But but the point is, uh, the, I am a master gardener. I am Mike Novak. Peggy Malecki is here. She's a master editor and publisher. Uh, for uh, natu- but not a master gardener, though okay. I do dig in the dirt a lot. I think there's. Still have you some ever dirt considered being head. a master mm-hmm. gardener? Yes, I have. Uh, the next time there's a course up north, I missed the last one. Ah, uh, it's really. 
I call it the last great bargain in America next to the Staten Island Ferry, although I don't know what the Staten Island Ferry costs anymore. Last time I was on the Staten Island Ferry, it was a, it was a quarter, so uh, it's probably changed. Yeah, but it's uh, like I used to pay forty cents to take the CTA to school too. So uh, yeah, in in nineteen twenty five, and uh, and uh, and but I, I I am a master gardener, and I and and the point is I try to keep up. And and I I ran into something the other day. A friend of mine who's been on the show, Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott from Washington State University, uh, runs this page that some of you might be familiar with called The Garden Professor's Blog. And you can go to Facebook, go to The Garden Professor's Blog on Facebook. And they have like 17,000 members of this thing now. Wow. When I first started in, it was three or four. And it's just gone nuts. It's gone through the roof. And folks write in to get really good advice about gardening. Uh, and we might talk about some of that today. Um, and, uh, uh, because there, there, something came up and she was talking about how various states and, and there are master gardeners in all 50 states. The program started in 1971 and I did not know this, but in Washington state, um, and, uh, uh, and now all 50 states have them, but, but she was bemoaning the fact that states, and this is true, are not stepping up and supporting the extension service programs in their states for master gardeners. And I received something, uh, and, and I'll probably get to it later mm-hmm. in the show, about uh, uh, Illinois and where we stand on that. So it's very interesting, uh, and it's a, it's a subject for all 50 states. We'll get to that. But we start today very excited to have Ruth Kersey on the phone, executive director of the Midwest Pesticide Action Center. Um, and their job is to work with folks uh, on safer ways of dealing with uh, pests, with lawn care, with uh, you you know they they go into schools and they mm-hmm. deal with bed bugs uh, and big and, bed bug bed uh, bug program yeah, yeah. and uh, speaking of that I talked to Rick Moskovitz our buddy the other day I got a feeling we're going to be talking to him soon because he's a a safe pest control mm-hmm. guy and uh, uh, but she's going to be on the show because they got a big deal. Coming up, uh, Chicago Goes Green Week, and uh, and we'll explain what that means. Uh, and basically, the idea is don't use as much in the way of pesticides if you can possibly do that. And, and part of it is lawn care, which is, as you know, one of the things that I'm really interested in. So she's on the phone. And then the second hour, our wonderful Chicago River, it's actually getting better. And we're going to talk about that with John Quayle from Friends of the Chicago River. Stick around. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Even nature needs a night out, and so do you. The Evanston Green Ball is now nature's night out, and it's a celebration of all things green. Be part of this event to benefit the Evanston Ecology Center on May 18 from 7 to 10.30 p.m. at 2024 McCormick Boulevard in Evanston. Fantastic food and beer, cool eco-raffle prizes, beehive tours, and more. Go to evanstonenvironment.org slash party. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. 
When's the last time you made a deposit in your ecosystem savings account? What I mean is that native plants are an investment in the future. They help to provide clean water, clean air, sequester carbon, mitigate climate change, and more. All of which have a major economic impact on global commerce and health impacts on humans, even in your own backyard. Natural Communities Native Plants can help you enrich yourself and the world around you. For starters, they have the largest selection of native plants, shrubs, and trees in the Midwest. And if this is the year you ditch that turf lawn for a native alternative, they offer Lomo lawn blends, sedge lawn kits, or knee-high meadows if you're feeling really brave. They even have native garden kits for beginners. You can take it to the bank. The birds, bees, butterflies, and other critters will think you're a financial genius. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Naturalcommunities.net. Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO. She comes on like a rose, but everybody knows she'll get you in touch. You can look, but you better not touch. Boys alive, boys alive. Where do you find these things? This is what I grew up to. Are you kidding me? Ah, I love that song. Now it's now this is a CD that my brother put together, and uh, on here it he says that it's um, Poison Ivy is by the Coasters. It might be he I, he's he was known to get some of the uh, artists wrong on this, so I must we'll have to look it up. But but yeah, it, or if anybody out there knows who did Poison Ivy, I think it, it might very well be correct. And by the way, speaking of corrections, we got one from listener John Winters. Uh, who and I and I said earlier that the last great bargain in America was the Staten Island Ferry because it was a quarter. He says it's free, so it's even a better bargain now. So thank you, John Winters, on Facebook, uh, listening there. And by the way, you can watch us on Facebook, the Mike Novak Show on Facebook. We're live. They've got the close-up cameras today. They're playing with the shots. They moved my mic. They moved your mic so that people can actually see you. Although they didn't put any light on you, so the, the, well, you got you, you look like the yeah, the surf, like, no. You look like the the moon. Half of you is in light, and <laughs> half is in perpetual darkness. So there you go. There you go. Uh, that's me. Let's get to the 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 heart of the show and go to the phone line. Uh, and bring in Ruth Kersey, who's the executive director of the Midwest Pesticide Action Center. Ruth, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, good. Uh, you're uh, you're running all over the place today, aren't you? Yes, we are. We have a really today kicks off uh, something that we're calling Chicago Grows Green Week, um, and today is our Retailer Day. So we're yeah we're running all over the place. Today. Wait, wait, wait! I thought Friday kicks off Chicago Grows Green Week. That the official event is uh, May 11th to May 19th, but because, uh, you know, we are spread so thin because we're doing so much stuff, we decided today to do this retailer day. So we're, we're running around to all of our Midwest Rose Green retailers in the Chicagoland area um, and setting up shots to let people know what's going on. Uh, and the idea is uh, you run around to, to set up shot to teach what these retailers what? about uh, about uh, horticultural techniques? 
Well, we're not really teaching the retailers, although we've already done that. We've recruited them into our Midwest Grows Green web, um, and, uh, and they already have a lot of um, products that we talk about um, for natural lawn care on their shelves, and we've promoted those. Um, so what we're doing today is we're really talking to the individuals coming into the stores mm-hmm. to talk about natural lawn care and also point them to these great uh, products that can really create much more healthy, uh, vibrant, and resilient lawns. Um, so that's really our goal today is to talk to the customers that are coming into the store and point them in the right direction. All right. This is a, actually a really great place to start when, when you're talking about uh, natural lawn care. Some people call it organic lawn care, uh, lawn care without chemicals, lawn care with fewer chemicals, lawn care with different kinds of substances, however you want to define it. Uh, and one of the things is you walk into uh, a store – and if it's an independent garden center, that's great. I always advise people, I urge people to go to independent garden centers uh, because if we want to have independent garden centers in the future, we have to frequent them. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, but there are box stores and there are all, the, all these other kinds of stores. And they're going to walk in, Ruth, and basically on one side of the aisle, you're going to have all the heavy-duty arsenal, the 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 pesticides, uh, that you can put on your lawn, the ones you see on TV all the time. And on the other side, you're going to have uh, the safer uh, means of dealing with your, your issues uh, in your backyard, uh, organic and, um, and other kinds of products. People who walk into these stores now have these choices. They can go up, you know, right. to the one side of the aisle or they can go to the other side of the aisle. And, and that's actually a good thing because we've come a long way from 20 years ago when there was only one side of the aisle and it was just all the pesticides. Uh, and, um, and now, and, and don't get me wrong about this either, because I do understand that there are pesticides that uh, are organic and we should not confuse people. And we should point out that even an organic pesticide can be toxic and you need to pay attention. So whatever product you buy at a store, I'm just going to say it right now, please read and follow label directions. And I'll bet you start there, don't you, Ruth? I do. Um, and that, thank you so much for bringing that up because uh, that, is, that is a big issue. When we talk to people about natural lawn care and pesticides, um, they do get very confused because there are natural pesticides, and if it is a pesticide, it is a pesticide, mm-hmm. and the federal government labels all of those pesticides, whether they're natural or uh, synthetic. Um, they all have a label, and that is federal law, and it tells very specifically how to use those products so that they're used safely and effectively for the most part. Um, and I really do encourage that, that. I always tell people the label is the law. And actually, if you're not following those directions, technically you're committing a federal crime. So please do read those labels, um, wh- whether you're using a natural product or not, because uh, that's, that's just a super important thing to be doing. Yeah. And of course, if you don't follow them correctly, Bob Mueller will come to your door and issue you a subpoena. We uh, we all know that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so long tentacles out there. You just never know, you know. All right. So I'm going to give you the basic question that you're going to get this morning. All right. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to get you off to the right start, get you prepared for this uh, prime the pump, so to speak. All right. Okay. So, so guy walks in, says my lawn is uh, is about 50 percent dandelions. What do I do? 
wow, okay. So this is a really broad question you're going for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going for the really um, broad one. And yeah. I got the crabgrass, too. Yeah. Well, there's crabgrass, too, but really, it's the dandelions, and uh, uh, it's it's the worst lawn on the block. What do I do? Right. So um, one of the things that we tell people is that um, I, I guess we always start with the fact that natural lawn care in particular is a process, but if you're having a really big problem, uh, with crabgrass, the first thing I would ask you is how big of a lawn it is because uh, your approach will depend on how, how large it is. If it's a smaller lawn like, you know, we have here in Chicago, typically you can engage uh, those weeds by pulling them. Um, you may have to start all over. If somebody has a lawn that is just all weeds and there's very little grass there, um, it may take completely rototilling the whole thing, pulling those weeds out, um, you know, putting amendments in the soil for what the soil needs and actually top seeding again with, um, with the proper kinds of grass um, and watering it correctly and doing all those other lawn care procedures that are important. So um, I would probably dig down and ask him a few more questions. So there is that approach. Sometimes your lawn is simply too, gone, too far gone uh, to do any of um, sort of the, the simple fixes that we, we can recommend. Um, so if somebody's coming to me with that big of a problem, that's probably what I would do is talk to them about that. I would also ask them questions about why does your lawn have so many weeds? And sometimes, believe it or not, uh, a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're trying to grow grass where grass has no business growing. Um, so, uh, for example, grass will not grow where grass doesn't want to grow. Um, grass needs about six to eight hours of sunlight every day. Uh, if you're trying to plant it in a very shady place, if you're uh, trying to plant it in a depression where there's a lot of moisture and a lot of water pooling, um, there's a lot of reasons or even that, that the soil is just not amended correctly, um, it's not going to grow. So that's another question I would ask them is, is why are there so many weeds there? And if I can dig down, I can also offer him a little bit more of a specific solution to his problem. That's a that's a really really good place to start, and it raises all of course all kinds of other questions uh, when you talk about grass wanting sun. Obviously, one of the things you're talking about is the the turf, the the grass that most people want, which is Kentucky bluegrass, uh, and that right. that requires a lot of sun. And the, and one of the you know and one of the things you realize as you work on lawns and you learn about them is that there are hundreds. Of varieties of turf that you can plant, you just need to know what right. they do. You need to know what they do, and there's a trade-off on all of them. So, for instance, right. Kentucky bluegrass, as you say, requires a lot of sun. Uh, it also is pretty good for traffic. Mm -hmm. You know, you can walk on it and bounce back. However, it's it's got uh, other issues that uh, you know it's subject to certain diseases. And um, it, it, the maintenance level is pretty high on Kentucky Blue. You can go to fescues, some of which uh, will grow better in shade. However, they don't have the same kind of appearance that a Kentucky Blue. And on and on and on. So every time you go to a different variety, you're trading off, which is why they have things called grass mixes, where you have different varieties. Uh, because I know some of the people will come in, well, you said uh, if, if I've got too much shade, uh, I can't grow a lawn. Uh, I know that there are shade varieties of grass. Why can't I just plant a shade variety? And you would probably say, yes, you can, but there are things you'll get from it and other things you won't get from it. 
correct? Right. So it depends on the use of the lawn, which people often don't think about. Um, if you have a lot of dogs, say, you know, your lawn is going to be uh, required to do a lot more work than if you're, you know, if you live in a place where it's just you and your mm-hmm. partner or whatever and you're not really using the lawn that much, that also goes into the decision-making process as well. And we work with a lot of experts um, on this, uh, and we put on these webinars called Lawn and Land uh, webinars. And recently we just had a, a, one of the webinars discussing all the different seed varieties, and it is really eye-opening, um, all the stuff that is out there now and all the work that is going into creating more resilient varieties. Unfortunately, most of them are not available in the stores that people typically go into. Um, you can buy a lot of them online, uh, but it's difficult to find some of the, um, the varieties that are, have been researched um, and are available to folks just in, like, the Home Depots uh, mm-hmm. and Lowe's of the world. So yeah, that's a, do a and they're not well promoted either. Sometimes. Well, no, but the point— Not well promoted at all. Yeah, yeah. And, and the point you're making— uh, Ruth, which is really good, is that I say because you can research this online and find, as I said, hundreds of varieties of seed. But as you say, you go into a Home Depot or a Lowe's or something like that, you'll get uh, one or two varieties. It's basically it's the big national brand. Yeah, whatever their national brand happens to be. You can go into a garden center. They might have a uh, their own mix but uh, and they might ha- and they might have a few more, but you're not going to get the hundreds of varieties of mixes to do that you'd have to go online and research in order and hope that you can get those and as you say Ruth there's still a lot of them are still being developed so it's right. uh the stuff is out there it's just not easy to find especially if you're uh, a weekend warrior and you're running to the store on a Saturday morning or a Sunday afternoon and saying I got to grab some mm-hmm. grass seed and throw it down uh, that being right. that being said, you still can do work. And what I was, what I like, what you said earlier, Ruth, is you mentioned process, and that is my mantra here. Uh, is I right. pre- I prefer process over product every single time. Uh, I think a lot of folks think I, if I get the right product, I, there's something in a box or a bottle on a shelf that I can spray or spread. And a miracle occurs. Exactly. And there are rainbows and unicorns. Uh, and as I wrote on my blog, except that you got to be careful the unicorns don't step on the stuff because they might be in trouble yeah. if they do. So let's go that, down that yeah. road just for a second about products and what you tell people about the kinds of uh, herbicides uh, and, and other pesticides that are out there. Right. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. This is a process. Uh, Lawns are a living organism, and that's something that people really do forget. Uh, They think of it as being a carpet that is just there to be used, but it truly is a living organism. And like all living organisms, it needs to be treated as such and fed correctly um, and given water correctly. And we also uh, even talk about exercise. So just like the human body uh, the the lawn or any living organism needs all of those things. Um, so the the nutrients are, are super important. Just to back up a little bit, the process is so important, and you need to start with what it is first that your lawn needs to grow well. And that often starts with a soil test, although that's not an absolute um, necessity. But if you're having really big problems with your lawn, you may in a certain area, you may want to assess that to figure out what the amendments need to be. So figuring out that and giving your your lawn the proper fertilization is super important. Um, In addition to that, you need to water it about deeply, about once a week, 
uh, one inch of water, that'll make big, strong roots. So that helps to exercise, actually, the grass. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also mowing correctly is very important. And timing is also super important with uh, lawns. And that's why we put together uh, a lawn care calendar so people really understand when the products and the processes should be happening uh, for your lawn to get the biggest benefit for them. For example, right now, everybody wants to do uh, fertilization. This is actually not the best time of the year to fertilize for lawns, Thank believe you. it or not. Uh, yeah, fall <laughs> is actually a better time because what you're trying to do is uh, create deep, deep roots. Um, and then when we're talking about pesticide use, uh, there's never a one-to-one product replacement uh, for natural lawn care to conventional lawn care. Conventional lawn care truly does focus primarily on buying products and putting them down. Natural lawn care is, again, about the process. So you're nev- we're never going to be able to match it one-to-one. It may take a little bit of time to get your lawns off of, uh, you know, these products that you've been applying to it. So there's sometimes a transitional uh, period. But the long and short of it is, is, is that if you treat your lawn like a living organism and give it proper nutrition and proper exercise and try to grow it in the right places, you, you can have success. success excuse me. Uh, okay, I'll tell you what, Ruth, uh, we need to break for two minutes, and I, and I know you need to get okay. going, but I'm, I promise you will not be with us longer than five more minutes But because I want to give you the opportunity to talk about the Chicago Grows Green Week events because I know you got a bunch of, coming, uh, a bunch of them coming yeah. up. So we'll be back in two minutes, and then we'll around. do All right, great. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. It's plant sale time, and here's the wonderful news. Wherever you live in the Chicago area, there's a plant sale near you that includes a large variety of native plants. Now, we can't list them all here, but we want you to know there's a great place to find all the local sales. Go to chicagolivingcorridors.org for a comprehensive list, or just go to mikenovak.net and click on the plant sale link. Some sales have pre-order requirements. Go native or go home. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please, support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. 
You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue, visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking to Ruth Kersey, the executive director of the Midwest Pesticide Action Center. And uh, Ruth, uh, as I promised, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about Chicago Goes Green Week. Uh, You're doing some stuff today. Explain again what you're doing today and then talk about what happens uh, beginning this Friday. For And I know that's going to uh, you're probably just looking forward to about uh, a week and a half from now, so w- when you can just collapse in a heap, right? That's exactly right. I'm I'm planning my, uh, you know, tropical vacation now. <laughs> but but I'm very busy. That's for sure. But you know, it's important that you do this because what I will say is that the uh, the the people who make products are out there and they're brainwashing people. And they're on TV every day saying, hey, you got to get out and you got to put your fertilizer down now because your lawn's not going to green up without it. And as you just pointed out, no, that's not true. It's not true at all because lawns actually do green up by themselves in the spring. Um, So you're fighting that tidal wave and it's just people like you and there aren't a whole lot of groups like the Midwest Pesticide Action Center out there. So uh, it's 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 you're like a salmon swimming upstream, as I like to say. Uh, But you so you you've got to take this week and a half and work really, really hard and hope that you make a dent in it. So I applaud your effort. So tell us what's going on. So today we're at I think it's about eight different retailers. Um, and we're going as far as um, Elgin and Carpentersville out to Ziegler Aces in those areas and Geneva Ace Hardware as well. And then here in Chicago, we have, uh, we'll be at, the, at Crafty Beaver on Central Avenue, um, Christy Weber Farm and Garden uh, there on West Chicago Avenue, mm-hmm. and then out in Cicero at the Seguin Gardens and Gifts. So we're setting up shop there and also in Wilmette and John Mellon yeah. Hardware as well. Um, so we're, we're out there setting up tables. We're going to, again, as I mentioned, point people to where they can buy uh, safer products, but just talk to them um, more, more generally about the process of natural lawn care. Um, and it is a little disheartening because whenever we show up, we ha- had an event yesterday, uh, actually up in Wisconsin. Um, we do pe- see people walk right past our table with those big bags of, of weed and feed, um, and I think that often they don't understand what they are actually purchasing, which is uh, a, a synthetic fertilizer and a pesticide uh, together, combined together. They're buying um, what's they on sale. Understand that. They're buying because what's on, on sale. sale. And there's big piles of it. Well, you know, the reason it's called weed and feed is because, as you pointed out, nobody would buy it if it was called poison and synthetic fertility. All right. Now, we, yep. <laughs> I think we ought to try labeling it that. Hey, how about the hey, nice bag of poison and synthetic fertility you got Let's there, Go get pal. some stickers printed up. Yeah. 
So, but but that's yeah. you're right. You look at that, and and it's not only the it's not just the pesticides, as you know, Ruth. It's the fact that by weight, twenty eight percent of what's in that bag is nitrogen, and you and I both know that the ground, the the turf, cannot possibly absorb all of that nitrogen, uh, and so you and I know where it goes. It goes into our water table, which is why. Uh, in uh, in uh, the week you're doing, you're working with various groups, uh, including uh, the UIC group. Uh, I'm trying to remember right now. I don't have it right in front of Freshwater me. Freshwater Lab. Yes. Freshwater Lab. Thank you so much for that. So uh, they, they're part of that, too, because it involves our water supply as well. When you do something in your backyard, it does affect your neighbors. It affects the water table, especially if you're pounding it with nitrogen. And we also have the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago as a partner as well, um, because they are very concerned about all the runoff into the waterways. So um, actually, our very first kickoff event on May 11th, they're joining us uh, in Chicago, in the Chicago Calumet region at Riverdale Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, at the Ivanhoe Fieldhouse, actually. Um, and so they're going to be there with us because this is truly a big issue for our water resources. Yes. All right. And so uh, starting the 11th, what happens? So we are kicking off May 11th um, at the Ivanhoe Fieldhouse, and that's in Riverdale. Um, with the, as I mentioned, Metropolitan Water Reclamation District and the UIC Freshwater Lab will also be there. Um, and we're going to be talking about the environmental and public health concerns with the current lawn care uh, sector and gardening sectors. Um, and it ends with a celebration of all the sustainable landscaping progress across greater Chicago in Westchester on Saturday, May 19th at a dig right in uh, uh, warehouse event where we're going to be selling uh, compost tea. Um, and then in between all of those days, we'll have webinars, games, and volunteer events uh, sprinkled throughout that week. So, for example, we'll be doing a dandelion pull and pull in Naperville. Um, we'll be having uh, a, another kickoff event in the Pullman area. Uh, we'll be at the Elmhurst Green Garden Fair, um, and then we'll be doing a uh, webinar on composting as well. So there's a lot, lot of events going on on that week. And if folks... Yeah, I was just going to tell them uh, where they can go get get that information. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, they can do that by going to mid- MidwestPesticideAction.org, uh, and uh, all of it's right there. Uh, do, you, do you have a specific page you want them to go to? You go to our events page, uh, and then also we have a, a bit.ly link, a shorter link, mm-hmm. which is bit.ly forward slash week. Um, you can go on Facebook also and put in uh, Chicago Growth Green Week, um, and you'll find out about our celebration um, as well. Um, and, of course, you can go on your – I saw that on your website also. You list all of, a lot of our activities as well. So yes. So there's, there's a n- number of places you can go. Right, and that's, and that's the point I was going to make is that I've got it all on my website, MikeNovak.net. So if, if you get confused, uh, just go, go to my <laughs> website, and it's all there. Right exactly. on the blog. And yep. it, Right, and, and we're posting also – uh, today on Facebook and Twitter, and we might even hit Instagram. Who knows? That might that might actually. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you're working with a lot of the partners, uh, people we know and like who have been on our show, like you said, and MWRD. Uh, I know that advocates for urban agriculture. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and uh, you talked about the event that's going to uh, end up uh, with Jeff Swano dig right in. 
Uh, he's uh, been on the show before. We've had uh, uh, Steve Newman from Logic Lawn Care. I know you work with all of those people, and they're, they're like you. They're, they're also salmon who are swimming upstream and, and trying to beat back the tide of all the ads that you get. And, and my advice to folks before I let Ruth go right now is when you see one of these ads, and you will today, especially on a Sunday, you're going to see these ads, and they're going to warn you that if you don't put the pesticides down on your lawn and if you don't fertilize your lawn right now in spring, you're a loser. Uh, and it's not going to green up and it's going to go dead. It's not true. Uh, and I want you to think of Ruth, and I want you to think of the Midwest Pesticide Action Center and the upcoming Chicago Grows Green Week and participate. Figure out a way to participate and learn something. Learn something different. You know, you don't have to be in lockstep with, with all your neighbors. You can be the trendsetter. You can be the difference maker. In you can your, be the educator on your block. Right, be the educator. And and Ruth is ready and her her staff are ready to help you learn uh, and the important thing is is education. I'm I'm not saying don't ever use anything. What I'm saying is learn about it. Get some education. Do some research. Figure out what's in a product before you throw it down on your lawn. Don't just because it says kills weeds. That's not a good reason to put it on your lawn. It really isn't. So um, I'm sorry. I kind of got on a soapbox there, Ruth. <laughs> That's okay. You might be killing a lot of other things other than your weeds, too. That's an important point there. You may be doing more damage than you realize. Yeah, so colla- collab- Don't just put it on your lawn. Collateral damage. All right, Ruth, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much. Again, Ruth Kersey from the Midwest Pesticide Action Center, and it is Chicago Grows Green Week. And good luck with all your activities, and I hope you survive. Thank you so much. Take care. All Thanks, right. Ruth. Bye-bye. And again, uh, that website is MidwestPesticideAction.org, and all of the stuff is on there. You can go to their events pages. And and, and it's it's posted in the Facebook Live feed for today's show as well and tweeted. Yeah. Now, uh, some of the stuff that uh, I wanted to get to is we talked about pesticides. And, and something I'm going to bring to your attention, folks go, well, no, no, you're talking about herbicides or you're talking about uh, fungicides or something. Well, they're the U.S. EPA, you know, the old one before mm-hmm. the good one before it was t- taken over hostily by certain the, the forces. protection agency. Yeah, right when it really was trying to protect us, um, listed nine types of pesticides. So when I say pesticide, I mean all of it, and the nine types are algicides, which kill and slow the growth of algae. Uh, antimicrobials, as you know about when you wash your hands obsessively with with this stuff. Disinfectants, control germs and microbes, such as bacteria and viruses. <laughs> Fungicides, control fungal problems like molds, mildew, and rust. Herbicides, uh, kill or inhibit the growth of unwanted plants, sometimes known as weeds. Insecticides, control insects. Insect growth regulators disrupt the growth and reproduction of insects. Rodenticides. You know about this. A lot of you, if you put out mouse poison, Mm -hmm. they kill rodents like uh, mice, rats, and gophers. And wood preservatives make wood resistant to insects, fungus, and other pets, which is why if you're building a raised bed, you have to be careful about the kind of wood you use 
because it's possible it's been treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and some of that could leach into uh, your, your garden. Uh, so uh, that's that's part of the deal with with pesticides. You know, when 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 we say pesticides, and again, let me emphasize something I said earlier. Just because a pesticide is organic doesn't mean it's safe. All right. Now, and then and there are, and there are labels on these products that, that tell you how to use them, and you really should pay attention to them. And they have different kinds of warnings on there. And the idea is that you read up on it, you follow the label directions if you're going to use something like that. Oh, my goodness, here we go. We're breaking again. It's just like every time I get, <laughs> I get, I get on a roll here. Uh, but I just want folks to read this. You know, I'm the kind of crazy, crazy guy that goes into the store and I'm snapping pictures uh-huh. of the label on my phone so I can go and research it. Or even now, just going online and looking up while I'm there. Okay, we'll have more. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and yeah, we're going to be back. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago Smart Talk. What is this, anyhow? This is your talk. This is America, Jack. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. You got to hit the right button, too. (laughs) All together now. All right. Today is Sunday. Welcome, uh, not not Sunday. It's some day. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We were going to talk a little bit about uh, extension services and and what they mean, and a little rant that a friend of mine did online the other day. But Peggy, you just went and found a 
good definition of what an extension service is. From Dave's Garden From online. Davesgarden.com, which is a, a huge website with all sorts of uh, information on insects and gardens and botany and blah, blah, blah. But uh, as written here in the United States, each state has an extension service that provides the general public with state and county information regarding local agriculture regulations and resources, land and pasture management information, uh, it could be referred to as a cooperative extension or county extension agency, and a major portion of that is um, the master gardener programs, as well as resources like free fact sheets, hotlines for pests, disease, gardening questions, local produced television programs, and lots of information for the public to help with gardening and agriculture. So there you go. And uh, a lot of folks know uh, extension services from either one of two things. Master Gardeners or 4-H uh, is basically where uh, a lot of folks know this. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, over the last few years, uh, there has been a decrease in the support for extension programs. And um, that's that federal support, state support, uh, state support, because most these are state supported uh, programs and so I was online the other day and looking at uh, Facebook and again I was talking about this website called the Garden Professors Blog and it was started by uh, four garden professors, uh, duh, and uh, <laughs> and one of them is Dr. Linda Chalker Scott from uh, Washington State University and she wrote uh, on May fourth. Uh, It's the first week of May, and that means it's my turn to post on our blog. I've celebrated spring with lots of pretty photos, (laughs) but the topic is anything but rosy. Take a look, leave a comment, and most importantly, share. And then she wrote this piece called Master Gardeners at a Crossroads, and she calls it a rant. And I'm going to just give you just uh, just a little bit. We don't have a a lot of time, but uh, she says that... uh, Anyone who gardens in the United States will be familiar with the Master Gardeners. The Master Gardener program was started by Washington State University in 1971, and I did not know that until now, uh, when extension agents in the largest urban counties, and, and meaning urban counties, found themselves overwhelmed with questions from the gardening public. These agents proposed training volunteers to help with educational outreach efforts and with support from the university. The first Master Gardener program was born. The history and function of Master Gardeners is further uh, detailed in a couple of articles that that she writes, and she raises the concern about the decline of programmatic support in Washington State and elsewhere. If you're a Master Gardener, the repercussions of this should alarm you. What makes a successful Master Gardener? According to uh, Sharon Kalman, the last surviving founding agent of the WSU program, it begins with this. One, a commitment to basic and advanced training programs, an open-minded approach to continuing education of themselves as well as others, a willingness to provide science-based, unbiased information regardless of personal beliefs. Now, I'll be really honest with you. I I throw my personal beliefs in all the time, uh, but... I also try to steer people. I also say, you don't have to listen to me if you don't mm-hmm. want. And uh, uh, this is what I think. Here's where you get better information. Here's where you get more information. Check it out for yourselves. Yeah, and, fact-based. And, and with the inf- with the with the inner tubes out there now, anybody can get any kind of information. 
Uh, and she talks about how to be ses- successful volunteers need high quality education consistently provided by university discipline experts. Uh, and she says that's where the model is starting to fail in Washington state extension specialists who used to provide training to master gardeners uh, in various sciences have been replaced by the university when they resign or retire. I'm sorry, have not been replaced by the university when they resign or retire. And more and more training is left to the devices of individual counties whose extension funding from Washington State University has been gutted over the decades. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's it's also been happening in Illinois and happening in other states. Not all the states, because some people wrote back. Um, she says, while counties should be commended for keeping programming alive in the face of crippling budget cuts, the lack of meaningful curricular oversight by the university means that volunteers often don't get the most current and relevant information pertaining to the science of gardening. Worse, they may be taken in by popular products and practices with no basis in science. Other volunteers may let their personal beliefs interfere with their pledge to provide objective science-based information on topics, including, as we were talking about in this show, pesticides, GMOs, and other controversial topics. This undermines the credibility of the county program and ultimately the university who claims uh, these volunteers. And if you are a master gardener, she writes, in Washington State or anywhere else in the U.S., it's really incumbent upon you to insist that your land-grant university live up to its public outreach mission. You deserve access to extension uh, faculty specialists whose primary focus is to educate the gardening public. Uh, The university takes credit for your volunteer hours when they make reports to the state legislature. Well, make them earn it. And uh, and that's kind of her her feeling is that the funding is is, is starting to dry up mm-hmm. and it's not just starting. It's been happening for years and it's been happening in Illinois as well. Well, um, I got uh, an email. I've gotten a number. I, I'm on this list from this woman, Jean Harlan, um, with uh, Extension Partners, a group that fights for funding for extension in, in Illinois. Uh, and over the last few weeks, there's actually been some good news. Um, she uh, she wrote that they received word that the controller's office was releasing six and a half million dollars to extension. And this is after several years in Illinois where there was basically no funding at all. And they've been hacking back uh, at the the various uh, uh, positions in Illinois. And she thanks people like Dean Kim Kidwell and Interim Extension Director Shelley Nichols-Richardson and Extension Partners President Jerry Hicks, um, Legislative Chair uh, Jeannie Harlan, Board Member John Houston, John Vogan of U of I, um, and various people who have worked. They work behind the scenes. They get no credit for this Mm -hmm. because uh, they're just trying to figure out the way to get funding. Uh, So these programs, like Master Gardeners, like uh, 4-H and 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 there's a lot of other things that extension does that, that are not 4H and master gardeners, a health related and other and other outreach to communities. So these are very valuable programs. And the fact that well, the problem is the pro- public doesn't understand what the programs are, and if the public doesn't understand it, why would the legislators understand it or be interested? Or be interested because they they're not hearing anything from the people they represent. So. 
in Illinois, thanks to these people, some of these people who have been fighting behind the scenes, it looks like there will be some money going to Illinois Extension uh, after several years of basically nothing and Mm -hmm. just gutting the programs. How long this will last and what the extent of it, but I guess that kind of remains to be seen. But at least uh, there seems to be some hope. Um, and as for Linda Chalker, Dr. Linda Chalker, Scott, um, it's good that she's sending out the warning and saying, yeah, these programs might start to collapse in various states unless we can get funding. But, you know, who's got money? Nobody's got money. And that's always a deal. Oh, well. All right. Second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We will be talking about the Chicago River. It's a su- success Yay! story. Yay! We'll be right back. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847 A new secure line has been opened for communication. 877-711-5611. Now please make enjoy for second hour capitalist radio. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy and wealthy wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. I decided. All I need is good tools to make me music. We'll make it look as though we're listening to two different music streams. <laughs> There's Peggy dancing and me. I'm just like, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Have That's some coffee. Good. Okay. Yeah, where's my coffee? All right, welcome back. Oh, well, that just went away. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show. Good to hear from you. Okay, good. Wait, excuse me. Just need that hour to wake up. I know. As she's she's to- actually trying to get all revved up, and I'm I'm trying to fall asleep here, I'm trying to do what I can. Hey, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And um, in the studio, we're very pleased uh, to have, uh, and we were talking, well, I, I should, he's a paisan, kind of. He's, he's a homie. Uh, uh, from the Detroit area. Uh, I'm very happy to have John Quayle, who's the director of watershed planning for Friends of the Chicago River. John, hi. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, so where did where did you grow up? I grew up in a place called Lake Orion, Michigan. Oh, I know where Lake Orion is. Yeah. Okay, you. we both went to the University of Michigan. So I know people from Lake Orion. Go Blue. Go Blue. There we go. And... Uh, and you go know, cats, whatever, uh, and, and, you know, and then we'll get to Mayo and he can do uh, go badgers. So we'll, we'll have a big, it's a big 10 reunion here. 
but uh, yeah, I knew people from Lake Orion and, and all the environments because you had people from all over the state of Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's a cool thing. Now, we were talking earlier. I'm actually from the Detroit area, and uh, a little town. I grew up the first 15 years of my life in a place called Madison Heights, Madison Heights, Michigan, and I was telling Peggy and John that I, as far as I know, and I don't know this for a fact, <laughs> as far as I know, I'm the most famous person ever to come out of Madison Heights, Michigan. Now, if anybody wants to challenge me on that, okay, write to Mike at MikeNovak.net or post on Facebook or, or tweet at Mike now. Let me know if I'm not the most famous person ever to come out of Madison Heights, Michigan. I mean, I mean, how many people get to say they're the most famous person out of their hometowns? Come on. Except that I was I was born in Detroit, so I can't really say that. But so I'm using Madison Heights. You're claiming that I'm claiming that because that's where I live. That's that's those are my childhood memories. That's what I remember. But then, of course, went to the University of Michigan and uh, eventually ended up in Chicago. So it's great to have uh, a a Wolverine here uh, in in the room with us. And you said something else that was really interesting. You obviously work for Friends of the Chicago River. As I said, you're the director of watershed planning. What is the director of watershed planning? So what I do with Friends, I do have a couple of roles. One of my roles is I work a lot on advocacy and policy work. So we talk about things like water quality. So what are the rules to, to govern how clean the water is? How do you enforce those? How do you make them stronger? Our goal is to have a, a fishable, swimmable Chicago River. That's what the Clean Water Act says. That's what we should have. So we're always mm-hmm. pushing yeah. to that. The other big part of what we do is we do, um, a lot of people say restoration. It's a little bit misleading because we're not going to turn Winnetka back into a muddy swamp. So <laughs> I would like to. But I don't think they're going to go that. for that. They're not going to oh, go for on. that. It's a tough sell. So we're really trying to re-naturalize big parts of the watershed that we work in. And part of that, uh, our big focus is on recreating habitat for the animals that, that are native to this area. Everything from fish in the river to turtles and osprey and bats. And at the same time, we get a lot of plant benefits and, and yeah. other things from that. Well, and one of the things you said is that people who come and volunteer for Friends of the Chicago Rivers, uh, a river rather, usually don't know anything about the Chicago River. Well, I said people that work for Friends of the Chicago River when they oh, start to work okay. there. The volunteers frequently come with a, with a lot of background because they're oh, they from there. Oh, they know, but it's the people yeah. who work for the so, yeah. and I'll use okay. I use myself as an example. So, like, I grew up in Lake Orion, Michigan, which yeah. is sort of, like, on the edge. When I was a kid, it was really agricultural, rural, sure. and it's sprawl now. There's a big, giant mall there. I grew up on a lake. I had herons in my backyard, and you kind of realize that gets into you, you know, mm-hmm. and you start to do water sure, stuff. Sure, sure. Yep. Uh, I studied at Michigan. Michigan has a great uh, biological station, which anybody from any university can go to in the summer up in Pelston, Michigan. Um, And I walked around in these little trout streams, and that's where I kind of learned all my stream ecology. And then I came to Chicago. And everything that I learned, except for the real basic stuff, you can kind of just throw out the window at that point. You have to relearn. It's a very urban river, how it flows, how it works, how the fish move through it. Um, how the recreation is on it. So when you come to to work at Friends, everybody that sort of starts, there's always a sort of six month learning curve. Even from the from the advocacy side, how mm-hmm. politics in Chicago works, which is <laughs> yeah. certainly as unique as the watershed is for the Chicago River. So uh, no pun intended, but you got to get your feet wet and kind of your, work your way up mm-hmm. to, to learning all that stuff. And since I learned that you guys were going to be on, on the show this week, I've been thinking about the Chicago River, and we got like one minute, and we'll break, and then we'll come okay. back. 
and and not to knock the Chicago River, it it is our river, and there's lots of wonderful things about it, and it, and it has changed dramatically over 150 years. A lot of rivers haven't changed that dramatically. You know, if you're if you grew up on the Mississippi, it's the Mississippi, it's the old Miss there. You know, it's it's it is what it is, or or the Ohio, or some of the other. Uh, the Columbia, the great rivers of the world. We're not a great river of the world. We're, you know, I want to debate with you about whether Chicago, Chicago River is a great river. I, I hear you dancing around our organizational vision. So we'll talk about <laughs> well, Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> why not? You know, yeah. uh, I'm a controversial guy. What can I tell you? All right. <laughs> that is John Quayle. Director of Watershed Planning for Friends of the Chicago River. That's our discussion. I can't talk today. Coming up, the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty, you no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Even nature needs a night out. The Evanston Green Ball is now nature's night out, and it's a celebration of all things green. Be part of this event to benefit the Evanston Ecology Center on May 18th from 7 to 10.30 p.m. at 2024 McCormick Boulevard in Evanston. Fantastic food and beer, a DJ, cool eco-raffle prizes, beehive tours, and more. Go to evanstonenvironment.org slash party. Once upon a time, oh, like maybe two years ago, it was really hard to buy native plants locally, but not anymore. It's plant sale time, and here's the wonderful news. Wherever you live in the Chicago area, there's a plant sale near you that includes a large variety of native plants. Now, we can't list them all here, but we want you to know there's a great place to find the local sales. Go to chicagolivingcorridors.org for a comprehensive list, or just go to mikenovak.net and click on the plant sale link. Go native or go home. You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue, visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80. Afternoons have never been smarter. 1590 WCGO. Smart talk for the North Shore. Not exactly the same Green River here. And I, and as it turns out, I've just insulted John and all the people who work for <laughs> Friends of the Chicago River. So that's where we're going to start with, with Mike Novak impugning their mission. Uh, because I said uh, just before the break that 
you couldn't consider the Chicago River one of the great rivers of the world. All right, John, take it away. Well, I'll, first I'll say that I can usually tell how long somebody's uh, been in Chicago by how much scoffery. I don't know if that's a word <laughs> that they have when I when they hear that or they hear you know us talking about swimming or, or something like that. Oh, but, so. but but see, I'm not I'm not taking that. In, you know, I I'm not even into the whole you know how dirty it might be or what happened to it in the past. I'm looking at it from a historical perspective in that it used to flow the other way it it was a swamp basically the whole area was kind of industrial slow moving swamp so it's not it's not like some of these other rivers that have been carved out over the millennia that that like i mentioned the columbia it's just scraping rocks on its way to the pacific ocean it's a different kind of river we don't have the you know a great mountain range or, or anything like that here in the Midwest. So we are yeah. we are at a disadvantage there. And I would say that, that rivers are really defined by the context that they're in. Mm-hmm. So the Columbia River, I was just out uh, in, in the Sierra Nevadas in the Truckee River and, and, and right. everywhere you go. There really is a river everywhere you go. The Red River in North Dakota is that way. That's the way the earth works. That's the way it, the it, earth it, works, it, right? It likes, it likes drainage. Rivers. Yeah. It likes rivers. So the Chicago River is really defined by its context. So it's this river in, 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 a, in a space that is key to a lot of the growth of the United States, mm-hmm. to the growth of this area, to the the building of a great world, you know, international city. Um, and now it's really being defined by its changing uses. So yeah, part of the, the reasons, part of the context of the river is that it was reversed and it had all this crazy engineering to make it work for the city to be able to grow. And what we see is what makes it great now is what's happening with things like uh, coming from ten fish species back to more than seventy in the river, and Wait, having, 10? You know, we had ten at we one had point. Ten in the, when, in the when 70s. was it? Wow. In the seventies, that yeah. was and those. You got a rough idea what those were? Um, I don't. I, I would. I would. I'm not going to venture a guess, but I'm going to guess they're pre, they're very hardy, invasive species that you know not a lot of not a lot of uh, real nice. I would imagine species in catfish, there. carp. Well, there's some good catfish, so we'll take channel catfish. So we'll take some Illinois yeah. native channel catfish, but a lot of carp and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a few bluegills, maybe. Maybe a couple here and there. And but how many do we have now? Over 70. That's a, that's a, right there. That's a victory. And actually, on my blog, what I wrote was, this: the Chicago River, you, you shouldn't get me wrong, because when I, when I talk about it, not, I say, let me put it this way. Uh, if, if I say it's not a great river, maybe I should say it's not a grand river. Um, there's there's kind of a difference, but it's it is a success story here because of people like you and people who are uh, part of Friends of the Chicago mm-hmm. River. When you go back to 1979, it and then <laughs> you know shortly thereafter, it was a mess, wasn't yeah. it? It was a mess. Yeah, you know, when we started in 1979, um, a guy named Robert Cassie wrote an article called "Our Friendless River" about a canoe trip that he took, and that sort of we started an ad hoc. Uh, group that way but it's you know once that momentum started it started to pick up we had our first uh, river day almost almost 30 years Mm -hmm. ago that that was a huge step in getting volunteers out there to really because I think once people get down to the river and experience the river whether it's in a canoe or on river day which is coming up on May 12th chicagoriver.org if you want to sign up for that which is one of the reasons we're here we'll get we'll get uh, more on that in a second but if I can get people into waders and get them planting in the mm-hmm. river, 
they automatically yeah. have a, a deeper respect and, and bigger connection. You get a different perspective. Yeah. You're not just driving over it in a car on a bridge. It's not just a bridge. It's not something you see. And, and it's amazing once you make even that connection how many people don't realize how often mm-hmm. they go over the river. If you go downtown to work from pretty much anywhere, yeah. you're going over the river in some fashion twice a day. And, and the first... Uh, you, you, you talked about Chicago River Day, which is coming up next week, next Saturday, and part of the reason you're on the show is to talk about that and make sure that people, you know, go out and enjoy the river and help it. Why not? Because it's getting cleaner. We Now we have disinfection. I, I want to get to all the things going on, but I want to get very quickly back to the very first Chicago River Day, which was 1992, and it was called Chicago River Rescue Day, which gives you an idea of what the state of the river was then. And I saw there's a video on there, an interview that your executive director, Margaret Frisbee, has with a guy named Wayne Shrimp. I know Wayne. I know him. And I saw that video. I go, I know that guy. And he was there on the first day in 1992. Good for him and all the people who have showed up since. But that's not that long ago. That's 16 years ago. It's, it's no, no, it's 26 years 26 ago. Years. Hello. I, I, I'm not a math guy. <laughs> You're in a time warp there. How about 26 years ago? Still, even then, that's not that long ago when you, when you look at it. Uh, and, and, and you look at how to have gone from 10 fish species or at that point maybe 15 or 20 to over 70. It's like, wow. So how did that happen? How how it's how did the fish species increase? Because we've not we only started disinfecting the river uh, a couple of years ago, all right, and that was a big deal, and that was controversial for a long time. And the MWRD said, "Ah, it's too expensive. We can't do it. This is not going to work." And we, you guys, had to fight. It's amazing. We had to fight to make sure we were cleaning up bacteria in our own river for the longest time, but. But even before that, the fish species were coming back. How did that happen? So as the as the city began to well, the Clean Water Act happened. Yes, that was a big a big step in the right direction. Yeah. So we had the Clean Water Act happen. There was some big steps along the way. So uh, the MWRD did fight for a long time on disinfection, but they they've done some some great things to their credit too. Mm-hmm. So deep tunnel starting to come online helped to clean up the water in the river. Um, they used to chlorinate at their disinfection plants, but then not dechlorinate the water hmm. that was coming out of the dif- disinfection plants, and that's not was not good for fish. No. Uh, no. So dechlor- or plants or anything really, yeah. So so they, stopping that process had a big impact on the fish coming back, and then habitat improvement. So a lot, you know, that's not a lot of work that you that people pay close attention to, but there have been lots of projects along the way. The Lake County Stormwater Management Commission has been doing little stream bank restoration projects. Since I started at Friends 18 years ago. So as those things start to build up and you build up that habitat for fish, fish will come back. And mm-hmm. we we have this giant lake right next door that is a great source. <laughs> really? Yeah. What's, we what's, do? Yeah. It's full of fish. <laughs> so it's great. It's a great source for those fish to come back. Yeah. So we are lucky to have a system that has access. So once you have clean enough water and habitat, that really can go a long way. The disinfection, just one last thing, the disinfection that happened recently is a big, big step, but that's really aimed at human health. Mm-hmm. So the water uh, for fish has been pretty good. It's getting better, but it's it can support a pretty good, yeah. healthy native fishery. What are some of the indicator species that are showing that the river is cleaning up? You know, what's moving in? 
So you see a lot more of your bass species. So, and it's really we're looking at abundance mm-hmm. of things. Channel catfish is one okay. that we're really encouraging to come back. We're seeing pike up in the North Shore Channel, which is really exciting. Um, but when I'm looking at the fish surveys, I'm looking for little tiny fish like rainbow darters and Iowa darters and in in little kinds of minnows that really don't tell. go all biologist on know, us it, here. It, okay. goes, it goes a little bit. Those can really tell a good story about. <laughs> What the substrate in the river is, and how clean that water is, but, but that must and, make and that re- their food is there too, and that their food, is yeah, there. and it must make you really happy though when you're when you're checking the river and you find these species and go, oh my, I can't believe that they're here. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. We find stuff like that are really rare uh, uh, macroinvertebrates or, or flies, like Dobson mm-hmm. flies and things like that. Um, but we, for the work that we do when we do habitat restoration, so we did a big project a few years ago. Where we put four hundred and two nesting structures in the North Shore Channel in the CalSAG, and they were aimed at channel catfish. Channel catfish are a native... That's not the fish hotel, is it? It's It was derived from the fish hotel. Fish, because so a, when you guys set up the fish hotel, yeah. I had Margaret Frisbee on my show back when I was at Progresso yeah. Radio, and uh, she would come in and we would talk about and I and I had a uh, saying for the fish hotel, they check in and they check out, uh, <laughs> which is thank you very much. Uh, but uh, I, I just think the Fish Hotel is, is one of the <laughs> coolest things ever, and now there's a, a permanent version of that, isn't there? The Fish Hotel is a great example of the because we don't we don't own a bunch of property, and we're uh, we only have about a dozen employees, depending on what time mm-hmm. of the year it is, and that's a, so we, we we like to hit above our weight, I think. So the Fish Hotel, <laughs> that you, we you punch up, we punch what, up, yeah. yeah, we we fight a, we fight a higher weight class than yeah. we qualify for. So we uh, the Fish Hotel was something we looked at. We knew we had these seventy species of fish in the river, or maybe sixty eight around that time. Um, but if you go downtown, the water is really clean, but there was just seawalls. This is before the River Walk, sure. Um, so how do you get habitat for fish into a real urban environment? So we worked with some biologists to come up with this thing called the Fish Hotel, which had these big boxes that you really couldn't see. They hung underneath it. The top had some plants and some aesthetic and made mm-hmm. it look nice. Uh, the, the the most recent Mayor Daly loved to go stand and look at it, so we got some great shots with it. But it, 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 it had <laughs> Photo everything. up with the, the mayor and the yeah. fish, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but it really, it really provided everything for fish that hotels do for people. So it was a place to eat. Coffee in the morning? Place to, to eat. You hang out in the morning, read the local news. <laughs> Meet another fish in the bar at night and go back to your room. Like there was, so we were trying to provide all that disco uh, ball down yeah, there, disco ball, all everything for the fish that wasn't there in that really in a really heavily urbanized environment. And it yeah. was it proved to be a, a, a pretty good success. And then we we it caught on in places like Cleveland built in on the Ohio oh, River. Cool. They built in some 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 habitat up on the Milwaukee River. In mm-hmm. Milwaukee, they have a really cool river walk that has some fish hotel type things hanging off from from looking at what we did. And then when they did the river walk, the fish hotel had to go away. The fish hotel, the hardest thing about engineering the fish hotel was satisfying the Coast Guard that it wasn't going to break free and get in the way of barges. So anchoring it to the actual wall yeah. of the river walk was the hardest part. So when the because it walk, is a commercial river, it is a commercial river. So when the river walk, yeah, 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 out, but but I'm sorry. Okay, let's back up now. Okay, because <laughs> it is. Oh yeah, those that you know, poor industry. They just never get to use the river at all. Uh, what's wrong with this statement here, folks? It's like part of the problem that we've had over 150 years is that industry is all that has gotten to use the river, and the average person and the fish. 
and the critters have not. When you when you pave the river and you and, and you have concrete up and down it, there's not a lot of room for habitat. So when the Coast Guard comes in and starts making demands, I I just scratch my head and say, you know what? Let's all. Why don't we all try to live together here? And th- but that's what you guys did. We did. We spent a lot of time mm-hmm. on that too. So we do. So. I'll come back to that point. Let me finish my fish okay, hotel Okay, sure. Story go, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So when they built the Riverwalk, the fish hotel had to go away because that was extending out into the channel. But what the city did was in the sections of the Riverwalk called the jetty and the, in the areas that, where the floating gardens are now, actually has fish hotel things like structures hanging off the bottom of those gardens. And on the poles that are on the Riverwalk that those mm-hmm. gardens float up and down on are these things called hula skirts. That are like a fibrous thing. So we worked with the designer on those things. Yeah. So they've built the fish hotel into the Riverwalk, and then at Wolf Point, where there's a new build, some new buildings going up. That's yeah. the first uh, planned development in the city that they're requiring habitat out into the channel Ooh, as nice. part of that development. Good so for them. Kind of see that stuff. So your river traffic question is a big, <laughs> yeah. that's a big, huge issue right now. So we we sit on something called the Chicago Harbor Safety Committee. That is the tour boats. The electric boat company, the tiki boat, the water taxi, the, water taxi, uh, the barge operators. We do canoe trips. Everybody is, is sitting I, there trying to I did to talk one of those canoe trips back in 2011 with Line and Kugel. Line and did the friendly float. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah and I made the from Addison down to the riverfront. Yeah. It's eye opening. We need to it's do incredible. that again. It's, it's incredible. Absolutely eye opening. And uh, just what you never see, especially if, if you're just above all the time, mm-hmm. but, but then taking the river out that way and just seeing everything that happens along the way is yeah. really stunning. So everybody wants to get down there because it is stunning. So yeah. whether you're in a kayak or a canoe or you just bought a boat and you want to put it in somewhere, so managing that traffic is something that is key. Now, I will say industry was not respective of the river for many, many decades, the barge companies now are very cognizant of the traffic on the river and uh, when they come through with barges, how they communicate with, with people. The biggest issue, sort of to the Coast Guard's concern, is you can go buy a boat that's 35 feet long that has 1,200 horsepower and you don't need a license mm-hmm. and it doesn't have any brakes. And that guy, <laughs> that guy's going out there. So that that can be a tricky issue. Sometimes. That's the same problem on the lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. It's it's and now it's in the river. That's a combined space or some guy on a jet ski. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all over the place. So it's it's no different, as Peggy says, from anywhere else. Yeah. I, I have one back to the fish question yeah, on yeah. Facebook. Yes. Uh, somebody actually, Wally, wants to know. He says, does the river have shellfish? I would take that too. Are there mussels and other That's mollusks Wally, in the river? Wally Novak, by the way, N-O-V-A-K. So okay. thanks for listening, Wally. Yeah, it's a great question. Are there shellfish? There are tons of mussels in the river, and that's how we can tell a lot the about good, water The good mussels or good the bad mussels. mussels? Good mussels. All right. And uh, we take volunteers out to go out and sample mussels in the summer sometimes, and we can tell a lot by wa- about water quality and fish by what mussels are there. So mm-hmm. lots of good mussels, especially up in the North Branch, like in Glenview is a great spot. We've got just a, a minute here. Uh, I want to invite folks, if you got a story of the river, give us a call real quick, 877-711-5611. Love to hear your Chicago River story with uh, John Quayle from Friends of the Chicago River. Uh, I also want to get to the North Branch development. Peggy went to the big meeting the other week. We had Alderman uh, Scott Wagesback and Michelle, uh, Michelle Smith. Smith on the show 
and uh, they talked about it. And you guys are heavily involved because you're one of the groups that's putting this together and has this proposal for how we might transform the north branch of the Chicago River into something it hasn't been for 100 years, basically. So uh, we'll be back with John Quayle. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki again. Uh, give us a call if you've got uh, a river memory, 877-711-5611. We will be right back. Time to kill the vampires and phantoms. No garlic or wooden steaks necessary. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Energy generation or power plants are one of the largest sources of pollution contributing to climate change. 5 to 20% of our home electric bill comes from vampire or phantom energy use. Most of our electronics remain on standby even if they're off. Anything that has a little light on somewhere, like a charger, is still sucking up energy. Cable boxes are among the worst offenders. There are some smart strips that help by allowing you to turn things on and off on a timer, The U.S. Department of Energy offers some tools to help you get to know more about your energy use. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and, of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. Whether it's March, July, September, or December, if you're a gardener, any time of year is perfect for a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region and one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, What to Do in the Garden, and even my column on the inside back page of every issue. I make up stuff and they pay me for it. Go figure. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere. But go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com. Or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. This is your talk. One of the few true originals of our time. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Shadows are falling and I'm running out of breath. Keep me in your heart for a while. It's our song of the Chicago River. If I leave you, it doesn't mean I love you any less. Keep me in your heart for a while. Keep the Chicago River in your heart for a while. In fact, uh, Peggy was mentioning during the break that Chicago River Day is coming up. On Saturday, and to register, folks need to do it. I we think by tomorrow, Monday, that, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and you can find that information. Go to mikenovak dot net, and uh, I've got uh, uh, all the information up there. But you can also go to uh, chicago river dot org. There's a great map up there. You can find out the location that's either close to you or someplace new you may never have been. And uh, register. Actually, if you register by tomorrow, you get the cool T-shirt. You get a free T-shirt, yeah. Oh, well, okay. Uh, and I, one of the things that, believe believe me, I discovered uh, when I was researching for this is I didn't know that the Chicago River is 156 miles long. 
I don't think anybody knows that unless you 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 study it and and you go to the friends of the Chicago River site. How what do you count as the Chicago River? So what are the what's the one fifty six made up of? So yeah, what's the one? Yeah, the headwaters of the Chicago River, a lot of people are surprised to hear, are up in sort of the Great Lakes Naval Training Center. It's a little bit north of there. So in the north part of the area, there's three different forks of the north branch. There's the west fork that starts in Lincoln. So you Shire. add up all the forks. Add up all the forks. The west fork, the middle fork, starts in sort of Abbott Labs and flows mm-hmm. downstream. And then the Skokie River, or the east fork of the north branch, starts up in the Greenbelt Forest Preserve, but yeah. just upstream of the Naval Training Center. Uh, they flow down to roughly um, one place called the Waters Meet, which is a, aptly named where a few forks come together and the, everything else comes together at the Chick Evans Golf Course in Morton Grove. Oh, I know where that is, yeah. yes. Uh, that's why if you play the Chick Evans Golf Course and it rains more than a little bit, it's closed because they can't, all the forks come together. And I have way. played Chick Evans when it was a mud. Pit. Yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, that's, <laughs> it, it gets wet pretty easily. It gets pretty wet because yeah. there's a lot of water coming in there. Uh, all that water kind of comes downstream into the city through Albany Park and near Foster. It goes over a little dam that's going away real soon uh, to add for some more fish habitat and things Yay. like that. It's who's who's removing that? Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers is removing it. We okay. actually started, that's a project that I started uh, working on at Friends in 2002. Wow. So it's a long, a long time yeah, coming. Yeah, no, nothing's easy. Well, see, you couldn't you know. leave friends. You I know? couldn't leave it, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not planning on going nope, anywhere, nope. but it, it, it's been a long time coming. So that they all flow down, and, and that's where the North Shore Channel comes in from the Baha'i Temple. So they we're starting mm-hmm. to add up some miles there. So where that comes into the North Branch, those all flow through the city. Uh, the main stem comes in through downtown to Wolf Point. All that flows downstream um, to Lockport. Uh, to the in the but it, it it also meets up with the Calumet River and the Little Calumet River mm-hmm. and the Cal Sag and all that comes together, and we count all that. So the Little Calumet, the Calumet, all the channels. Oh, I didn't realize you counted the little. So Calumet those are all part Calumet. of our watershed. Okay. So they all come together, and then yeah, Bubbly right. Creek and the side channels. So Bubbly Creek is well, interesting. Go ahead. I was just going to say that Mike Bryson from. Uh, uh, Roosevelt um, University comes on the show from time to time, and he likes to take his students on Bubbly Creek, and he takes them on trips. And to me, that's just terrifying. But it's it's because you know Bubbly Creek has it has a history, and it's and it's it, it it's a crazy body. Well, I won't even go into Bubbly Creek, but yeah, that's part of the river too. In uh, in ten years, Bubbly Creek is going to be maybe twelve. 10 to 12 years, is going to be a wetland oasis where people will go and canoe and kayak. And part of that will be that weird aspect of what it used to be. So there's sort of big plans. So you really place. think that's going to change like that? It's really going to happen. So there's wow. big big plans afoot at Bubbly Creek. We'll see, yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm glad yeah. to hear this. Peggy, you were going to say. I was going to say, where's the official end point? Of, of the Chicago, at Lockport. So at, there's a lock down at Lockport mm-hmm. that is a downstream lock that the MWRD uses. They, That's a song. Yeah. Lockdown at Lockport. Lockdown at Lockport. Johnny Cash that. sings that. Yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, all right. Be, before we let you go today, um, a couple of things, one of which we talked about uh, before the break was the North Branch revitalization mm-hmm. uh, and the idea that the North Branch Industrial Corridor it started with rezoning and getting the mayor involved and getting, you know, and now there's 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 rumors of Amazon coming in and we tore down all the industry there and now we're going to put up high rises. And at the at the almost at the last second, we had uh, a, a bunch of groups come together like you and various aldermen and other organizations and say, hey, wait a second. 
if you're going to tear all this down and rebuild, you can't just plop uh, high rises in there and 50,000, 55,000 people in this little tiny area that doesn't have those people right now uh, create basically a new ward for the city without some open space. And guess what? The river's there. Why don't we open up the river in a way that it's never been opened before? And Why don't we add more land to that? Yeah, and, and we talked about it on the show, and mm-hmm. Peggy was able to go to the big meeting, uh, which is a couple of Mondays ago, uh, and, and you said it was packed. Yeah, there was, I, I lost count at about 160 It was people. a full house, for sure. Yeah. I was there, too. And, and, uh, so tell me about that, that effort and uh, where you guys stand right now. Well, that's another one of those momentum things. So uh, in t- the entire time the city has been looking at that, that corridor up there in the north branch of the old industrial corridor, uh, Friends has been advocating for open space. And when we advocate for open space, we're not talking about a bunch of little pocket parks. We would like mm-hmm. to see big, contiguous open Which space. Which is what has been proposed. That say, was yeah, what well, was proposed. We'll have, we'll have 60 acres there, except that they'll all be in these tiny little spots. And spot. they're not connected, and there's no wildlife corridors. Or they're using a very thin corridor and... Averaging that all out, and there's sort of sort of some mat, trick to the math of yeah. it, right? So we want to see big contiguous open space. So we've been pushing that and pushing that and pushing that, and then we got to you know start to form a coalition with groups like Open Lands and Friends of the Parks, and then we got a powerhouse like Richard Wilson from Smith Gill Architecture mm-hmm. to come in and do some drawings. It's always you could do a drawing yeah. that's a the huge great, <laughs> that yeah. makes a huge difference just to show people what that can possibly be. Uh, and then uh, some aldermen got on on board because they realized what a benefit it would be. And it's also something that is Chicago's light on park space for its citizens. So that's something if you look at cities around the world, mm-hmm. we lag in that category. And that's something we I can think, pick well, up I think on. people get faked out because we have so much lake space. We have the kind of open space on the lake that nobody in the world has. But uh, if you go into the uh, other parts of the city, there's not as much park space. You'd be surprised. My wife worked for the Field Museum for a long time doing education in the Calumet area. You'd be surprised by the number of kids that live in Chicago that have never been to Lake Michigan. I would not be surprised no. by that, actually. You know, they do not have access to that open space. And yeah. those kids, yeah. they, that's, those are the communities that need open space. And the river flows through a lot of those communities. So we see the river as a conduit to that. So the North Branch is the first of many industrial corridors that are going to open up and go through this process, and we'll be there advocating mm-hmm. for this every step of the way. So we hope, much like Pingtown Park, yeah. so it's not something that hasn't been done in the city before, but we'll start to be able to build up this really great chain of open space, and that the North Branch is a key to that. And you know, with open lands involved, it's kind of similar to the the Lakeshore um, Preserve. Preserve, yeah. Yeah. That here's this space, here's this opportunity. Open lands, Lakeshore Preserve. Yeah, open lands, Lakeshore Preserve, yeah. yeah. Here's this opportunity that's probably never going to come up again. If we can purchase these 24 acres of land, let's have and a park and, there. and and believe yeah. me, we know that there are a lot of hurdles to go over. A, you got to get first. You got to get the mayor on board. You got to get all the, the developers uh, on board. You get got to get the people who own the land on board. Uh, as it turns out, uh, the alderman. Um, I'm blanking. Brian Hopkins. Yeah, Brian Hopkins from the second ward has finally said, "Hey, yeah, maybe." I got a feeling that Brian Hopkins. Uh, saw the inevitable. There was a wave of publicity and a push towards this, and he decided he'd better get on the right side of this pretty quick uh, because he has now, apparently. Mm-hmm. So that's good. You got you got all the aldermen from the area. So there's there's as you mentioned earlier, talking about Chicago River. There's always political. 
and this is this is uh, in microcosm what happens is the the political you have to overcome to get the the physical aspects of it done. Yeah, the politics are always important and how you deal with that. And like I said earlier, Chicago is a very unique political environment. All the aldermen involved in this issue, Alderman Hopkins, has been have are all great river supporters and have always been great river supporters. They'll be out there on River Day. They're they're they've always and most of the aldermen we work with are that way. So. It's our job to make sure that we work collaboratively with people in a non-adversarial way to push these these things through. I think the North Branch is in a really good space politically right now. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, but I think we're moving to a place where hopefully the mayor will be able to support it. The developers will be able to support it and will set, you know, a, a good course for what's going to happen elsewhere in the city. And, you know, there's going to be compromise along the way. That's always the way these things work. That's the way it works. And it's our job to push it as hard as we can in the direction of what our mission is, which is to make the Chicago River one of the greatest metropolitan rivers <laughs> in the world. Right? And, and, and to prove Mike Novak wrong. OK, that's that's, <laughs> right. that's our yeah. job. No, I, You know, I love what you guys are doing. I love the fact that that there has been progress and, and that. Um, it's not it's not unheard of now again as i said i was out canoeing and watching kayakers out there and and there were there were you know a couple of decades ago you were insane to go out in a kayak or a canoe on the river and now that's all changing it's it is different have have you had any uh information on the disinfection and how that's working are you able to take samples on that so we're starting to look at the data from that we don't do our own data collection just because owning a lab and and that kind of thing would be really prohibitively Mm -hmm. expensive so we're working with university of illinois chicago to do some data collection right now that's going to look at how the water conditions have reacted after disinfection it's really important in chicago that you look at water during rain events and during dry Mm -hmm. events because it makes a huge difference So the initial data, I think, looks pretty good, but we, that's something we want to make sure is actually working um, in the, the MWD is meeting the goals that, that they need to meet. Uh, that is, by the way, John Quayle, who is the director of watershed planning for Friends of the Chicago River. We're going to have to break, and then we're going to get to our meteorologist, Rick Tamayo. But let's make sure people know how they can get involved with Friends of the Chicago River. ChicagoRiver.org is a great place to go to sign up for River Day or any volunteer th- activity. We're doing some wildlife monitoring this summer that's pretty exciting, looking at bats and ospreys and turtles and things, if you're interested in that. If you want to get in the, plant, in the channel and put on some waders and plant some plants let us know but river day may 12th coming up chicagoriver.org and and that's 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 so great too i love the idea that there's so much more life along the river and habitat i i posted something on facebook a, a couple of months ago about your towers that you your 70 foot towers that you have along the river that's great stuff yeah, we have the osprey poles, we have the bat uh, colonies or condos, whatever you want to call them, um, that have, you know, they can hold 5,000 bats that are really important to wow. our ecosystem. And Turtle of course, nest. and we haven't talked about bats at all this year. We know that that's another species that is threatened and, and we need to protect our bats. So, all right, uh, stick around, John. We're going to talk to Rick DeMaio. We'll talk about rain events for your event next week. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, like I said, Rick DeMaio, and climate stuff coming up. Thanks. Did you know that today is Take a Native Plant to Lunch Day? Well, every day is when you grow plants from natural communities' native plants. This year, you can get your hands on hard-to-find edibles like wild leeks and golden seal instead of stealing them from forest preserves, which is illegal, and a whole forest of permaculture shrubs and fruit trees like serviceberries, pawpaw, and persimmon. 
and nut trees like pecan, hazelnut, and walnut. They even carry wild strawberries and other native fruits. Natural Communities has the largest selection of native plants, shrubs, and trees in the Midwest. They even have native garden kits for beginners. And they're happy to provide you with education about sustainability to help you succeed. It was never so easy to make a positive difference in the world around you, even if you're a foodie. Don't just get back to nature, create it in your own backyard. Go to naturalcommunities.net, naturalcommunities.net. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Yeah, how's the demo going, Jim? It's going good, boss. You know, there's a lot of great material here. Where are we going to bring it? Total landfill. Where else? Seems like a bit of a waste. Maybe we should call up the Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse. The what? The Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse. You know, the place where you can donate reclaimed and reusable items for a tax deduction. Oh. And then people can buy those materials for their renovation or creative reuse projects. Well, what are we waiting for? Call them up. Sure, you can get all the info at Evanston. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You do it. I'm the boss here. The Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse. Online at evanstonrebuildingwarehouse.org. This is your talk. Do you read me? On 1590 WCGO. Evanston, Chicago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We still got uh, John Quayle hanging out in the studio from Friends of the Chicago River. We were talking about how you guys are dedicating your cleanup day to the monarch butterfly this year, right? Yeah, that's our, uh, our, our theme animal this year is the monarch butterfly. Our River Day coordinator, Annette Anderson and Joanne Dill, do a great job picking those animals. That's a native to our watershed, and we do a lot of work on habitat restoration. So that is, if you sign up by Monday, you get a T-shirt, a pretty cool T-shirt with a monarch on it. All right. And I know a guy who wants a T-shirt with a monarch on it, and that is Rick DeMaio. He's standing by. I know he's going to sign up. Uh, but, you know, Rick is the kind of guy who gets out on the river. He's got... You got I don't know. Do you still kayak anymore, Rick? Oh yeah, yeah. I have I have two hard kayaks and two inflatables. So I'm up to four now. Wow. <laughs> I wow. think last we heard you had the inflatable. Uh what was that, Peg? I think uh last time you were talking about kayaking you had the inflatable in the trunk of your car. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna be taking them with me um next Monday morning. I leave for New Jersey, pick up my brother, we head up to Boston, go to Fenway Park. See a Red Sox game, visit some relatives in Rhode Island, and then head to Cooperstown and the Catskills for three days. And my uh, my two inflatables, my golf clubs, and my bike are going to be with me. <laughs> you know, you got to be careful. I, what, I, I, no luggage. I'm just going to say you got to be careful though when you talk to <laughs> say That's my when you say to people, "I'm going out of town with my inflatables," but never mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I I think I might still have my T-shirts from when I used to uh, be a, a much more involved member of Friends of Chicago. I did I did many days of cleaning up the river um, on the north side there, and it really is, I think, one of the coolest ways to see the city as you get out 
um, on the river right behind Lane Tech High School. Uh, there's a place where you can rent kayaks from the city, uh, or I think it may be a private firm. I'm not sure. Uh, but you head on north and you go through, I think, one of the coolest areas of the city right around the Albany Park area up near, um, I think it's Northside College Prep. And you see some parts of the city that will completely blow you away. It's amazing how how people live in, in kind of a quiet way. You know, like, I don't think they want people to know that they literally have docks in their mm-hmm. backyards, but it is really amazing and uh, great job for doing that. It's really cool stuff. Yeah, and you've seen things change over the years. You've been in Chicago for a long time, and uh, we were talking about how, how the river has improved, and you've witnessed it firsthand, haven't you? Yeah, I remember, um, I think it goes back almost, 15 years ago, I was actually the MC for uh, Friends of the Chicago River, the the, uh, uh, the annual event, and it was myself and Pat Quinn um, who were who was standing, uh, I think it was right across from the old the Sun-Times building there, and we said we were going to make the Chicago River um, swimmable and fishable um, in about 20 years. I don't think we're close to that yet, uh, but it's definitely we've, we've made some improvements on it. The only hard thing is that we get these heavy rain events, um, and you get tremendous amounts of runoff. In addition to that, uh, we've had so many days during the wintertime when you get these rapid melt-offs of, of snow, and with that comes runoff of stuff like salt and other chemicals into the river, um, I think a little bit more frequently than normal. And that has obviously not done well uh, with the ecosystem. So the river, I think, is adjusting both to what we're trying to do to improve it uh, but also what um, humans are doing from a standpoint of an, of an unnatural way. So it's almost like a race against time, and hopefully it'll all kind of balance out in the end. Well, uh, speaking of those flood events, uh, I was on uh, Basement Flood Watch earlier in the week. One of the mm-hmm, nights, yeah. Um, yeah, one of the nights I was up till about one thirty doing some work, and I decided, you know what, I, I'll just stay up and just kind of keep an eye on the radar because it started training through Chicago, right. and I went, uh oh. Uh oh, and, right. and I did not have an issue, which is good. But I, I'm always aware of it, and uh, this is one of the things that we have now. Uh, it seems every year we have several events where where things the, these storms just train right through the city or a certain area. If it's not the city, it's mm-hmm. the south part or the north part or something, and then they dump copious amounts of rain. Yeah, and and I think Mike, it's important to note. I know Peg, you you know this as well. It's not so much if the rain's falling in your area. It's where it's falling in the floodplain. And we've seen this before where I think the flood back in July uh, 2017 caught a lot of people by surprise because we had so much rain falling in southern Wisconsin and the northern part of Lake and McHenry County that all that river, all that water runs downstream, uh, and all the rivers in northeast Illinois basically run from north to south, and they pretty much converge right through suburban and urban areas of Cook County. And the urban areas are just not equipped for that. Uh, so more and more, again, we, we see those uh, we see those type of situations unfold um, kind of in, in a quiet way. Uh, if, obviously, if the rain's falling over the top of you, right on top of you, going, oh, my God, I think this is going to come into my basement. But oftentimes it's the stuff that falls north of you, and at the end of the spring season, mm-hmm. that usually leads to flooding. Thankfully, a lot of the snow that we had this year uh, wasn't that heavy. Uh, it melted pretty quickly. We got into a dry period, so the ground is able to hold on to and absorb a lot of the rain. Even though we had about two and a half inches of rain, it got soaked up pretty quickly. So we're not in any sort of a flood event, or even even a flood uh, flood like like the best way to call it 
is a, is a pre-flood event. Nothing like that in the short term and nothing like that in the long term mm-hmm. as well. Well, in the past week, uh, I guess one of the things that has happened is that we've started to approach something near uh, normal, if that even exists anymore, compared to what what, what we seem to have had all uh, all spring long and late winter has not been. But now I'm feeling like, okay, yeah, I recognize this. This is this is May. Yeah, warm, 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 humid air. Oh my god. Yeah, like like having a day of 70 degrees and sunshine, like all of a sudden seemed like a gift. And not only was it a gift, but but over the over the week we had two days in the 80s. Uh, we had a bit of a cool down. We made it into the low 80s yesterday. The lake breeze pushed through, and it was pretty amazing because I was down in Andersonville uh, about 5:30 in the afternoon at about 78 degrees. Lake breeze pushed through. It was 73. I wanted to go up to the lake. And take a walk with my dog. Next thing you know, I can see the thermometer dropping, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's 54 degrees and it's cold. And and you go literally from hot right past warm, right past mild, right past comfortable in a half an hour. Cold. <laughs> and and in about a half an hour and about two miles, too, Peg. It really is amazing uh, what you can get around here this time of the year. And this is basically shaping up to be a good old fashioned Chicago spring. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we're just about at, at, I'm going to give you a little more heads up on a forecast this week. So let's start with that, but with uh, special attention to Saturday, because John wants to know how River Day is, uh, well, what kind of weather there's going to be for River Day yeah, next Yeah, do Saturday. I need a raincoat when I'm up in Highland Park at Think yeah, Park? Yeah, <laughs> it, it does appear that we could get a little unsettled by the end of the week. Again, seven days out, mesoscale weather systems, they could be east of you or west of you by, by 12 hours, and that could be either rain or 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 uh, sun. So if you want to hand them my email, and I'll be in touch with them during the end of the week, but overall, cooler today. Uh, still cooler tomorrow, generally dry weather, probably less than a half inch rain over the next seven, seven days. And it appears that we're going into a warmer and drier pattern as well mm. over the next three to four weeks, which is typical um, for El Nino Springs. And much of the Midwest, even though we've been wet recently, really hasn't gotten a lot of good rainfall. So hopefully we'll do that next week. But this week, it looks like things basically on some of the dry side. All righty. Well, Thank you uh, so much, Mr. DeMaio. Get the kayak, get the inflatable, and uh, get ready to head out with your brother. Have a good trip. Sounds good, but I'll talk to you next Sunday. All right. Thanks, Rick. And by the way, Peggy, I've got plants for you in the car Okay. from uh, the Peterson uh, Project Garden Sale, uh, Peterson Garden Project, and uh, I hope they do well on that. All right. I want to thank everybody on the show today, Ruth Kersey from the Midwest Pesticide Action Center, and of course, John Thank you so much for coming into the studio from Friends of the Chicago River. The Chicago River Day next Saturday, so go to chicagoriver.org to sign up. I think that's it. Until next Sunday, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.